If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn it on, or, like us spiritual people, open it up to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and we're going to take a a little pause, a little three-week break uh, from our series in Daniel and talk about this idea of being one. Hopefully somewhere near you, you saw a little white silicone bracelet that comes, got a statement on it that comes straight out of Scripture that says that they would be one, that they may be one. And that's what we want to talk about over the next three weeks. But there aren't a ton of things that we as the body of Christ can turn to and literally hear a conversation between the Son of God and God the Father. Now, now we, we have His Word, so, so we have His revealed will. We, we can know with great confidence that we are doing what God wants us to do. But there are a few places, this namely being the big one, where we get to look into a special relationship. A special relationship of the perfect Son the perfect Father in conversation. And what we get to see in John 17 is we we get to hear in clear and non-confusing terms what Jesus Christ, the Son of God, desires for His body, desires for His children, desires for the church. His words really can't be misconstrued here. He's clear direct, and He's speaking to the Father. Uh, but before I read it, though, I want you to think about the strategic place that it is in the Bible. In John 17, we're, we're late Thursday night of Passion Week. Jesus is headed to the cross. In 24 hours or so, Jesus would be leaving them, quite literally. And He's preparing His disciples for that fact. The whole evening and and discourse with the disciples in this moment starts in John chapter 13. So you're paging back to John 13 and it begins with this beautiful picture of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And that's how the evening begins and they're kind of offended by that. If you remember, Peter, I think, says, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus is like, oh yes I am. And so that's where it begins and Jesus begins to set this example that they were going to be servants. That there's this example to follow that leaders are servants. I'm I'm grateful just as our elder teams have been able to start meeting that the heartbeat of that team is to lead in that way, to be servants first. I know I hope to lead that way. I know Pastor Carl hopes to lead that way and... And and do that because it it begins there. It began with Jesus washing His disciples' feet. And then Jesus predicts His betrayal. And Judas is dismissed from the group. And that tension, when Judas leaves, Jesus then introduces in His own words what He calls in, in John 13, 35, what He calls a new command. That the whole world would Know who we are. Know who you are and who I am. Not by anything that we're going to do or any campaign that we're going to run, but that we would be known by the way that we love each other. The way that 
you and I, the way that the people in close proximity to you love each other, that that would actually be the way that they'll know who we are. It's really an irrational, otherworldly type of love because it doesn't always make sense. Jesus then reveals on the heels of that, He says that He is the way, the truth, and the life. That no one comes to the Father except through Him. And that the Holy Spirit is coming to be with us and that He's the vine and we're the branches. This is all in the same conversation and that apart from Him, John fifteen five, we can do nothing. We certainly can't do this apart from Him. But then I love how John 16 wraps it up with a bow before Jesus begins to pray and it says that we can take heart in all of that regardless of the trials, regardless of the tribulation, regardless of the difficulty that you're going to face in your life and that we're going to face in our life together, regardless of all of that, Jesus says we can take heart because He has overcome the world. What an awesome thing. And then Jesus begins to pray. And we get to listen in to the heart of perfect Jesus talking with the perfect Father. And I want to read you that prayer. I want to read the whole thing. Don't get nervous. It's long. But it's beautiful. And and I, I would just encourage you as it's on the screen or as you are in the Word or maybe you want to close your eyes as I read and just allow the words of Jesus, Jesus praying, words of life to wash over you this morning. Here's what Jesus prayed. It begins in John 17, verse 1. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son, that the Son may glorify You, since You have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom You have given Him. And this is eternal life, that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. I glorify You on earth, having accomplished the work that You gave Me to do. And now, Father, glorify Me in Your own presence with the glory that I had with You before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours. And yours are mine. And I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world. But they are in the world. And I I am coming to you. Holy Father, 
keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful prayer, and every single word of it is incredibly encouraging and useful for everything in your life. But what I want to do is just take these few minutes that we have today and just draw our collective attention to two specific truths that I think are incredibly appropriate for what it is that we're doing right now. Incredibly appropriate for what's happening this morning in our context. And I want to jump right in if you're taking notes in your worship guide. There was a sheet of notes and the very first blank that you have is is this truth, and it's the first thing that kind of jumps off the page in John 17 as we're gathered here this morning. It's this truth. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. Surely you've heard that statement before, but maybe you didn't know where it came from. It comes directly out of Jesus' prayer for you and me. And this is really the what of the prayer here. This is really the end goal. Jesus is making it very clear to us that we are not being taken out of this world. 
We are not being taken out of this world because we are to be on mission in this world. The end of verse 23 makes the goal clear for us being left here and not taken away. It literally says this, so that the world may know that you, Father, sent me Jesus. It's why we're here. We're not here for the heck of it. We're not here, left here to suffer because Jesus isn't sure how to get us out of here. We're here so people who aren't yet in the family will know who Jesus is. That's why we're here in the world, but how are we not of the world? Right? He says, I don't want you to take them out of the world, but they're not of the world. What is that all about? In verse 11, Jesus prays these words at the end. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. The, the, the word holy in the original language literally means set apart. God the Father is holy. He is literally set apart. He is altogether different. He is altogether above. In the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that title for God the Father, Holy Father, is only used by John. It carries with it the power of the awesome transcendence of God's holiness. That He is altogether different, but only in keeping with the family intimacy of a good father. Don't you love that? Literally, my father's got this. He's awesome. But he's dad. This is important because although we are in the world, we have been set apart from this world because our Father is holy and in Jesus Christ we have been made righteous. We too have been declared and made holy. The Bible says all thing, all the old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. It's John's equivalent of the Old Testament truth in Leviticus 11.44 where the Bible says this, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Peter would say the same thing in 1 Peter 1.16. Be holy because God is holy. Peter found that out the hard way. Some of us have found that out the hard way. But wow, taking the family name, being adopted into the family of God sets us apart from the world, not because they're bad and we're good, but because we're all bad, but He's good. Amen? That's our story, our confession. So how? We see the what and the why. We've been set apart to be His witness. But how? But how? This is surprising, honestly. It doesn't even feel like it fits, right? Because there is so many things that we could do to reach the world, right? I mean, we're in 21st century United States of America. We, we make our lists and we get it right and we get it done. That's just the way it is. I know so many of you and that's your story. You, you are very capable of getting stuff done. But it's surprising here that in any number of things that this collective body would be capable of, there's only one thing that Jesus prays to the Father that would be the thing that we give our lives to. It's found in both verse 11 and 23. And let me just read those to you again. Here's what he says. Jesus says, I'm no longer in the world, but they are. 
Okay? And then he says this, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me. Why? That they may be one, even as we are one. We're being kept in the family by God the Father, by the power of His name, so that we could be one, so we could be unified, that we could be together. Why? Verse 23. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Why? So that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. In short, Jesus prays that God will keep his followers faithful in this direct call to be one, this direct call to be unified. And that the purpose of that faithfulness is that we would be one. Our faithfulness to Christ and His Word is for unity because it's our unity that will actually present Christ to a broken world. That, that, that is not anything that we could do as the church, but it would in fact be the fact that we all love each other. That the thing that would be so altogether set apart and holy from the world would be that when you and I gather together here and in our homes, that it's our love for each other that the world would look at us and say, now there's something different. So the second blank in your notes there is pretty simple, that we would be one just as the Godhead is one. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit dwell in unity and have from before the foundation of the world. And we're called to be one as they are one. Jesus' desire is that we would be constantly under the sanctifying word. It's a lifelong thing. Sanctification is this uh, two-pronged attack on who you are. It's you becoming more aware of your need for Jesus, me becoming more aware of my need for Jesus and as a result that he would just be continuing to fashion you into the image of Jesus, that you would become more and more and more like Jesus and that we actually need each other for that. Pursuing this family atmosphere, relentlessly pursuing being perfectly one as the Godhead is perfectly one. And all of it, according to verse 13, not so we can keep track of our faithfulness stats or make it into some special status or check all the boxes. No, it's so that we will collectively be filled with the full measure of Christ's joy. That the key to your happiness, the key to your fulfillment is found in Jesus Christ and the bringing together of the body of Christ. So, as we begin this journey together of becoming one church, there's a story to tell. There's a story to tell our neighbors and our friends and our community that our pursuit of unity in the body to do what is weird for churches to do would actually be our witness to our city. And it all connects back to what Jesus said is this brand new commandment in John thirteen thirty five. He said this, By this, all people will know 
that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's the whole deal. It's the whole thing. The way people know, the way our world will know that we're following Jesus is if we can figure out how to love each other. What a beautiful thing that that is actually our witness to a broken world. Amen?